Where do you find your confidence? In this series, we will explore how we can have a confident faith to face our internal struggles and the craziness going on around us. Good morning. Hey, welcome back. If this is your first time here, we're sure are glad that you came. Uh, you've come on a great Sunday because we're kicking off a new series called Confident, and the title of today's message is Trust in God. Uh, this uh, sermon series uh, speaks to me because one of the things I struggle with is confidence. Uh, some people say, well, you stand in front of people all the time, but I'm telling you, uh, I like you, share in this struggle of finding confidence to face the trials of life. And things are kind of crazy, aren't they? There's a lot of craziness going on. I mean, the shootings out in the bar in California, or the synagogue in Pittsburgh, or the forest fires in California, or the, uh, the storms in the Carolinas and Florida and Georgia. I mean, there is a lot of crazy things going on. It's a very unsettling time for many people, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Um, there's political uh, strife, you know, there's a very divided, divisive type spirit uh, when it comes to government and those types of things. And then uh, there's growing hostility towards Christians. Uh, if you believe that every person has value from conception to uh, natural death, or you believe that uh, Jesus is the way to the Father, or if you believe that sexual intimacy is a gift of God reserved for those uh, in marriage between husband and wife, like if you believe those things and you say those things, you could be labeled all kinds of things and even experience uh, someone coming after you uh, uh, legally. I mean, that's happening. And we know there's persecution around the world, but it's, it, it's just a crazy time. I mean, there's a lot of unsettling things. And then there's those personal struggles that we all have from time to time. Maybe you're going through one of those right now. It could be family relationships, marriage relationships. It could be uh, issues with your adult child. It could be someone you love is dying. Uh, it could be some financial struggle. I mean, there's emotional struggles of all kinds. And, and sometimes there's this gnawing sort of depression or gnawing anxiety that just hangs with you like a, like a cloud and you're in this melancholy state. Like those are personal things. So where do we find our confidence? How do we find confidence? How can we live confidently? See, I think one of the greatest testimonies any disciple of Jesus can have is to live confidently when they're suffering, to live confidently when things are in chaos, right? I mean, when we can show a confident disposition towards life when things are crazy, when you, you know, I... There was uh, one lady in California, um, obviously a Christian, uh, she lost everything, and uh, she was being interviewed, and she said, um, I've lost everything, but I still have my Jesus. Like, I mean, you know, when you hear things like that, watch things like that, you're like, that's right, that's right, that's who I am, that's who I want to be, right? I hope, I hope I'm like that. If my house burned down or my flood washed it away or my spouse passed away or whatever, I mean, I hope that I would have that confidence, a trust 
in God. I think that one of the best testimonies we can give is confident, to be confident when things are crazy around us. So, um, have you heard of this guy named Alex Holland? Alex Holland, there's a movie about him called Free, uh, Free Solo. And he is this, he's probably the best uh, free climber in the world today. People look at this guy and he just does some amazing things. And uh, he has uh, done some very daring things like this one. Right, that's what I said when I looked at this picture. That's El Capitan and uh, Yosemite. And it's 3,000 foot mountain of stone, and he's free climbing, no ropes from bottom to top. Like, who does that? That guy does that. And so there's a saying that goes with free climbers and those who ride motorcycles. It's not a matter of if you'll fall, it's a matter of when you fall, right? So this guy is, his confidence is in his own abilities to free climb. Like, no ropes. No net at the bottom, no cushy pillow to fall on. If he, if he, I mean, it's all up to him. And if he falls, it's going to be tragic. It'll be a, a catastrophe. It, it's a tragic life that lives untethered from God. It, it's, it, it's, it's dangerous to, to put your confidence in yourself and your own abilities. Like, I'll work this out. I got this, I'll do it, you know, I mean, I've got a plan, you know, I've got resources, I know people, right? Like there's all that kind of stuff that, you know, just, just hot air, that really is not, not where we should place our confidence, is in our own abilities, because it can lead to tragic results. And doesn't it stress you out to know that you have to fix everything? Like one of the things, like I remember when getting that, that tithing thing down when I was early as a Christian, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, I don't know what it is. And then, I, then someone said to me, and I say to you, right, you know, I'd rather live my life depending on the Lord than depending on me. That's why I tithe. Because, I mean, he, got, he has it all. I mean, I, I'd like to live that way stress-free. And when it comes to finances, because I just know God's going to give me what we need when we need it. And when he doesn't, it's just time to go home. That's all right? Our retirement plans out of this world, right? You've heard those kinds of things, right? So you and I, uh, we, ha- we, we, we try to put our confidence in God. Now, what we're going to talk about is the excellent way that we have, having no uncertainty, being certain, having no uncertainty about whatever. I mean, you might be concerned about who's going to win the football game today, and there's some uncertainty about that, right? But who cares about that? We're talking about life. We're talking about, well, some of you just said, whoa, rope, rope, preacher, football is my life. Well, okay, we can talk about that another time. But uh, this word confidence appears throughout the Bible, and uh, it appears in scriptures like Philippians uh, 1.6, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful and completed. Or uh, Hebrews talks about that uh, we can boldly come with confidence before the throne of God. Throughout the Bible, confident or confidence appears in a number of places. But you know what's not attached to the word? Self. Self-confidence, being self-confident. There is one time, one exception to that, but Paul lists it in a negative light to be self-confident. Look, for a disciple of Christ, self-confidence is a foreign, foreign concept. It's not taught by Jesus. It's not taught by Paul. Our confidence is in the Lord and what He can do, 
And, and, and so uh, you and I, you know, w- we understand that, um, that if we try to depend on ourselves, I hope you understand this, through, to face every circumstance, it, it's going to be difficult because at some point in time, someone will fail you, you'll fail yourself, your, your, your theory will not work out. And so um, Paul is this guy that I look at as, besides Jesus, like he's just this guy that has this amazing confidence in what God can do in him. So Paul started out as a Pharisee. He was a Jewish religious leader, if that word's new to you. And uh, he was very good at what he did. He was very smart. He was schooled in a great university under this guy named Gamil. Uh, He was um, uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees. That means he was at least 30 years old. He had a good education and he was married. But you know one thing Paul never talks about? Never talks about his wife. Now I got a guess on that. I think Paul's wife left him when he decided to follow Jesus. That, that's just my guess. But here's what we do know from Paul's writings. He was betrayed by friends. He was stabbed in the back by people who said that they were his friends. He was stoned to death. He literally died under a pile of rubble. And God raised him up from the dead so he could continue his mission. I mean, Paul, he endured emotional strains from the church. And and he has this confidence in the Lord. No matter what the challenge, he's able to to look past uh, the problem and look to God's solution. He's trusting in God. So we're going to break in the second letter of Corinthians today. And just a little background to the city of Corinth. All right. In Paul's second missionary journey, he establishes a church in this city that was about 80,000 in population. Uh, and, and, and just a boldness for Paul to walk into this city, and, uh, and he's going he's gonna to plant a church, right? He doesn't know any Christians there, but he soon meets up with these two people named Priscilla and Aquila, and, and they're just really nice people, and they're Christians, and they're followers, and so they're supportive. But the three of them, and then some others come along, they, they, they establish this church, and so uh, Corinth was a place of, of all kinds of, of, of idols and gods, all kinds. Uh, here's the Temple of Apollo, this, this city, Corinth, now called Peloponnese, uh, in the, in the, uh, on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, Paul comes there, and uh, this, this, this place is just full of idols. Uh, they worship Egyptian idols like Isis. Roman gods like Poseidon, god of the sea, or Athena, a goddess of war, or Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility. And, and Corinth is, is also a very metropolitan city. The, part of the Olympic Games are held in their 20,000-seat Colosseum. I mean, and, and then there's this uh, canal that connects two parts uh, of the ocean where uh, instead of sailors having to sail around this big isthmus, they can, they can sail through Corinth, but it comes, comes at a price, right? There's a toll to go through that. And so Corinth is a cash cow for Rome. And, and, and so this, this is the city that Paul walks into, and it's like, we're going to take the gospel here. That's right. That's what we're going to do. The Lord is going to plant a church here, and I'm going. And so just his courage uh, to do this is just amazing. So Paul plants a church there. He leaves, and the church gets into trouble. <clears throat> Some people say, well, I want to go to church where there's no hypocrites and no trouble. Well, you won't find that in the New Testament, Right? Because every letter in the New Testament was written to a church problem, except one, Philippians. And, and so, anyway, uh, all, the, all, the, all the problems that, that are, Paul's addressing, he's writing a letter, and that's what we're going to read. So, months after he has left this church, he hears about some trouble. He starts writing them letters to encourage them and redirect them. And one of the things that he addresses is their confidence. 
to put their confidence, their trust in God. So here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Paul, you know, his relationship with Christ is where he bases his confidence. Like I said before, there's many reasons. Paul was educated, gifted speaker, gifted writer, uh, bold and courageous, but he puts his confidence not in his strengths, but the Lord. And, and anything that's good of him, he attributes that to the God working in him and through him. Paul was not, listen, a self-confident Christian. I once was a self-confident Christian. Uh, can, you, can you play along with me here? Uh, my name is Bob. Thank you. I once was a self-confident Christian, but I've been liberated. I've been delivered. Uh, I've been rescued. And what do I mean by that? Well, I thought my relationship with God was based on like me going to church every Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday night, church work day. I thought my, my relationship with God was based on me knowing the answers, book, chapter, and verse to the questions that I had or others had. I thought my confidence was that my doctrine was right, and I had it all right from top to bottom. I thought that's where my confidence was. Do you know that's a huge problem in the church today? I'm sure it's a problem in someone's lives here today. I'm sure some of you haven't come to my club, right? The uh, I once was ex-self-confident club, whatever, you know, whatever club you want to call that. Because we're often basing our relationship, our acceptance of the Father based on our performance. Are we not? Come on. I know we are. Can I get a witness of anyone? It's show of hands if you struggle with that. All right. Some of you are honest and some of you are dealing with lying, right? So anyway, aren't you glad you came? Moment. But uh, we have to trust in Christ's atoning blood, not our perfect obedience. Confident in Christ's strength, not ours. We're confident in Christ's strength, not ours. Paul, as I said before, this bold proclaimer of the gospel, it got him into a lot of trouble. And he's going to go to trial, and it's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to go all the way to Rome. And he tells Timothy, one of his uh, protégés, one of his guys he was mentoring, he says once when he was at a pretrial, he says, at my preliminary trial uh, hearing, no one stood beside me. They all ran like scared rabbits. But it doesn't matter. The master stood by and helped me spread the message loud and clear to those who had never heard it. I was snatched from the jaws of the lion. God's looking after me, keeping me safe in the kingdom of heaven. The Lord stood beside Paul when no one else would stand beside him. As I said before, one of the things I struggle with is being confident in accomplishing whatever the task is before me. And when I feel that anxiety rising up, when I, when I can feel that stress of, will I get this right? I ask myself the question, who am I trusting in right now? Where's my trust right now? Well, obviously, if I'm all stressed out and all anxious, it's not based on the Lord. Because is the Lord not able to accomplish anything through us, through, through His Spirit, right? There's a song that I love, and I'm going to teach it to y'all, and y'all are going to sing it with me, all right? So y'all thought, man, I, I, I'm, I don't sing. Oh, yeah, you're singing, because I'm watching, right? 
And so it's a, it's a Michael W. Smith song called Surrounded. It's just a simple chorus. And it goes like this. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. Sing it with me. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how we fight our battles. 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 Man, I'm telling you, you and I are God's child. We are never left alone. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care how big you think it is. God is bigger. The sin that you think God's grace can't cover, forget it. His grace can cover a multitude of sins. God is more than able to deliver you from whatever you think is going to consume you. You put your confidence in Him and nowhere else. And you do that through prayer. You do that through uh, coming to places like this and learning and, 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 and understanding why you should put your confidence and how you should put your confidence. God is with us. Emmanuel, right? I mean, we're coming to that season. We're going to you know, eat some turkey and then we're going to open presents and God is with us, right? We talk about that. And so Paul, he wants us to believe that. So what he tells the church at Corinth to, to, to help them understand why they should be confident is he contrasts the old covenant that the Jews lived under in the Old Testament to the new covenant that Jesus brought and delivered from Mount Sinai and then uh, secured on Mount Calvary. And so here's what he says. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not the letter Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness for what was Glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Now, some of you are maybe walking into the first time, you've never heard of Corinth or you've never read this passage, you're like, what did he just talk about? Well, what Paul is doing is he's contrasting the the big ten, right, the Ten Commandments, to the uh, covenant that Jesus gave, all right? And so he, he's saying, look, it, the Ten Commandments was glorious. It came with glory, and the Sinai shook, and Moses came off, and his face was aglow with the glory of God. Like the moon reflects the sun, his face is glory. And so he's, he's saying, if that was glorious, how much more glorious is what Jesus brought us? And so when, when Moses, when his, when, when his face uh, came from the presence of the Lord, it was glowing, and the people were afraid. So he put a veil over it. So they wouldn't be afraid, but guess what happened? As time passed, that fading, uh, that glory began to fade, and he left the veil on so they wouldn't lose confidence in him. Because who wants to follow a leader of diminishing glory, right? 
And so anyway, Paul's saying, like, this, 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 is, this, is, this, this covenant has faded, and it should fade. Um, and so uh, this new covenant that, that Jesus has given us compared to the old covenant, the old covenant it was received by Moses on Sinai. It produced a fading glory. It demanded perfection. You had to get all the ten right. And besides that, there were 500 more laws I'm talking about. And look, if you're hanging over the edge of a cliff on a 10-link chain, how many links have to break for you to fall to your death? One. So that's the point. Look, if you break one, take the Lord's name in vain once, covet your neighbor's whatever once, if you tell a lie once, you're done for. You have to receive the condemnation of the law because the Old Testament law brought condemnation and it relied on works. It relied on your performance. So Paul says, that was, that, that was revolutionary to the ancient Near East when it came out, but how much better is this new covenant that Jesus brought? It was delivered by Jesus on Calvary, on the cross. It produces an increasing glory. Christ radiates. I mean, he's amazing when he comes out of the tomb. Uh, He's being transfigured, right? And when we follow him, we begin to radiate that same love and hope and and promise to others. It it produces this increasing glory. It trusts in the perfection of Christ. Some of you walked in here thinking like, what do I need to uh, do this and do that to get it all right? First, it begins with trusting Jesus. It brings forgiveness in life, not condemnation, and it relies on God's grace. Man, all of us, all of us struggle with this performance-based relationship with God. I know you do, because I do. We all do. And, And we have to push past that. Because if we don't, every time we sin... Every time we do something wrong, every time we're like, we know to do good and we don't do it. I should have called them. I should have done that, but I didn't. And that's a sin too. Like you feel bad about yourself, don't you? Well, it's not that you shouldn't go have some remorse and go next time I'll, you know, I'll be more thoughtful or whatever. But it's not putting your salvation at jeopardy. Your relationship with God is secure. It's not based on your work. It's based on Christ's work. And so uh, we should have confidence in what Christ has done. And that takes a bunch of like junk out of our, uh, our, our mind. And we're not replaying the tape all the time, you know, or MP3 or whatever it would be now. You know, I'm a failure. I always get it wrong. I'll never get it right. Like all that goes away in Jesus as we concentrate on what he has done for us. So it, we're confident in grace, not law for salvation. Many times we feel defeated. Our self-worth is destroyed by our failure. That's a sign that you haven't placed your full confidence in what Christ has done. That's a sign that you need to draw closer to the Lord. You need to hold on to Him tighter. Paul says in Ephesians uh, 8 or 2, 8 through 9, he says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. And so when you're feeling defeated, you need to ask yourself, okay, wait a minute. Like, how am I right with God right now? How do I? All right, okay, it's Jesus. That, you know, moving forward. Uh, in my first trip back from Rwanda, there was this uh, about eight or nine hour plane ride from uh, Entebbe Airport in Uganda to Brussels. 
And I sat down on the plane and uh, got on the plane actually in Kigali, Rwanda, but then we short jump flight and then more passengers boarded there. And the guy that sat down beside me was this uh, Muslim man and he's reading a, a paper in Arabic. And I'm like, okay, this will be interesting. And, uh, and we've got this long plane ride. So I introduced myself and we struck up this great conversation. He was actually from Canada who went to Rwanda because he had a building system to build houses for the poor. They could build rapidly, and so that's why he was there researching uh, their, their company's development. And, and that's one of the pillars of Islam, the five, one of the five pillars, is, is you know, do good to the poor. And so that's why he went there, okay? And so we begin to have this conversation, and I have all these questions. I'm like, man, this is going to be great. He's captive audience, you know, and he can't go anywhere, and he's probably thinking the same thing. This is going to be great, you know? And so we're, we're going back and forth, and I have questions, he has questions, and it was just, it was delightful. I learned so much. That was the, the best class I ever had on Islam. And, and, and so when we were, were, were uh, exiting the plane, uh, he says, you know, we're not that far apart. And I said, I, there's something else I want to tell you. So we stopped in Starbucks when you come off, and, and I grab, we grab a cup of coffee, we sit down, I take a napkin, and I write this phrase, do versus done. I said, here's the biggest difference. Well, one of the biggest differences between Islam and Christianity in Islam, you have to do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. In Christianity, Christ has done it. And he looked at me and he goes, and, we, and I don't know what the Lord did with that. We separated ways. He was, he was a lovely man. I mean, he just, I just, his, his spirit was so kind. And, and I thought to myself, this guy is going to spend the rest of his life in Islam trying to please Allah. Do this, do this, do this. Look, it's not that obedience is absent from Christianity, but our motivation is love. It's not fear. And any of you parents know this. You want your child to respond to your commands, your instructions, because they love you and they want to honor you and they want to respect you, not because they're afraid that every time they disobey, they're going to get a whooping. I mean, that's not a great way of parenting. I mean, (laughs) I'm not saying I didn't do it. I'm just saying... Just saying that there's a better way, right? There's a more excellent way. Uh, and so God is con- he's transforming our identity. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses. Hide behind a veil because it's diminishing glory. We would put a veil on over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, that same veil remains... When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed because only Christ, only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Remember that song? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. All right, too bad. Uh, and, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed, what? Into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You're confident. That you're going to become like Jesus, right? Now listen, I just said, are you confident that you will be like the guy you're reading about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? You're confident of that, right? Like before it's over, you're going to be like Jesus. You're confident of that, right? I mean, that's what Paul is saying. 
We're being transformed into the very image of Jesus. I, you know, I know you're overwhelmed with that. If you're thinking about what I'm saying, I'm overwhelmed with that statement. But that is what the Bible says. That you're not going to enter heaven because you're a good guy or a good girl. You're going to enter heaven because Jesus transformed you in the very likeness of him. That's what the Bible says. And that is happening if we are walking with Jesus. That is happening because his spirit is working in us. You know, Moses, as I said before, like he covered his face so the Israelites would not lose confidence in him as a leader. But, but for us, man, it's, we're transparent. We're trying to be honest. We, we can share our struggles. You know, it, just be honest. When you walk into the church, be honest. Somebody asks you how you're doing, you say, like, like, not too good <laughs> right now. I was reaching back in the car seat trying to find some leg to grab. and <laughs> You can tell me that. I used to do that. It's the claw. My kids call it the claw. Here comes the claw. They found a way to slip out of their seatbelts and the floorboards and <laughs> evade the hand of the Lord. <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> You get what I'm saying? I mean, this, I don't know what I was saying about all that. I just wandered off some tangent. We're in the high weeds right now. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> there is a more excellent way. Let's just get to it. There's a more excellent way. We're confident by concentrating our, on our identity in Christ. I could preach on this subject every Sunday and we would grow from it. Because we are constantly measuring ourselves by human standards. We are constantly measuring ourselves by what dad said when we were eight at the game. We're constantly measuring ourselves what that boy said to us at the school dance. It's playing over and over again. But I'm telling you, until you find your identity in Christ, you're going to be a sad person. But when you can find your identity in Christ, you're liberated. You're, you're free from what was binding you. So we can stop focusing on what others think of us and concentrate on what Jesus promises about us. That's what matters. Quit relying on man's approval and rely on God's acceptance and His character building in you through His Spirit. God will do the heavy lifting if you just allow Him. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's a quick fix. But what I am saying, it is guaranteed because Christ came out of the grave. And we know it's possible. We have all kinds of fears, don't we? All kinds of fears about what all kinds of things. There was a survey done several years ago, and they, they got the top ten fears people have. You know what number one was? Nobody's guessing. It was, it was not death. It was not death. That was number three. Number one was the fear of speaking in public. So that means when you go to the funeral home and they're having the service, seven out of ten people in there would rather be in the casket than give them the eulogy at the pulpit. <laughs> Just think about that. <laughs> I mean, our fears, our fears are messed up. Fear the Lord, for that's the beginning of understanding, right? Is that not what the Bible says, right? And so, so there are all kinds of fears that we have. 
But in Christ, they fade away, and His glory increases in us. And our world needs to see confident Christians. They don't need to hear a Christian say, I think I'm going to heaven. Well, who wants... I don't want to talk to you. Think you're going to heaven. I want to know, man. When I face death, I, when I face death, I know that He will deliver me and raise me up in a new body. And so here's what I'm saying. Like We, we have to show people that, that... Did I talk about that? Yeah, let me talk about this. When, when we admit our inadequacies, the veil comes off, and there is this freedom from shame to boldly radiate the glory of God to proclaim the gospel. So let those around you see your confidence in God. Let them see it. Let them hear it. Like, you may not have it all figured out. You may not completely understand it. But all you have to really believe is Jesus is who he said he was and that he resurrected from the dead. And that by knowing this, you will have what you need to share good news. Really, you will. I remember one time when I was working for a company and they were, they were downsizing, the economy was terrible, and, and uh, they, they said our whole department was going to be eliminated, like, like 60 employees and and I remember standing beside the guy, we worked in teens, and um, my buddy says, man, he says, I, I don't, what's going to happen, man? What am I going to do? And I was like, you know, I have confidence that the Lord will provide for me and my family. And he goes, how can you say that? And I was like, I just, he always has. In that moment, that's what I was doing. I didn't know it, but I was showing my confidence in the Lord. This guy is now a He's a solid Christian. He's goes, he goes on short-term mission trips. He's just a great guy. But anyway, uh, what I'm saying is that, that you and I can be a witness for what God can do when times are turbulent. There's going to be more shootings. Until the Lord comes back, things are going to get worse. That's what the Bible says. Mothers will lose affection for their children and... People will turn to violence and gossip and addiction and all kinds of things. But we can be confident that we know that Christ will right every wrong. He will come back and restore what's broken. He will come back and, and, and resurrect us to a new life. That's our hope, man. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to just uh, proclaim the good news, because it is good. And Father, I pray that all of us would strive to put a deeper trust in you and walk away from putting our trust in our own strengths and abilities. That we know that what is good in us and what we're able to do is a gift from you. And you are working through what you've created uh, in, in us and to do great works, as we heard Sabi, early this morning, talk about how if it wouldn't be for this church, I may not be alive. I was just thinking about how great your work is through your people. Father, help us to live confidently. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.